World Series field is set. We got the Astros. Er, yeah, yes. We have the Astros <laughs> and we have the Philadelphia Phillies. That had to compute for a moment. I thought, hey, maybe the Yankees actually took one and we'll get a game five, but that's not the case. Oh, uh, oh, <laughs> oh, wait. We don't have game five? Like, no, no game they five. They got swept? Today. No. Oh, actually, zero, <laughs> zero baseball Monday through Thursday. World oh. Series gets going on Friday. Phillies beat the Padres in the NLCS in five, and the Astros with a cool sweep of the Yankees. Jack, Peter, Aram, Just Baseball Show, Monday, October 24th. I've got an apology to make, but first, I'll let uh, I'll let Peter take the floor and talk about the Yankees for a moment. I mean, what do, you, what do we want to say here? The Yankees weren't good enough. Like, there's, you know, you hear on uh, Yes Network and all of them, like, they complain about specific decisions that Boone has made, but at the end of the day, they just weren't good enough. Yeah. That's it. Like we can, I want to more have a conversation instead of just going off. Cause there's so many different things that we can talk about, mm-hmm. but they weren't good enough. They were worse than the Astros, no matter kind of what they did, no matter what decisions Boone made, they were a worse baseball team. And it was obvious. It wasn't even close. They were worse. They deserve to go home couple of narratives that I want to get into uh, a little bit later on is the, the first two things that TBS's postgame show addressed yesterday. Oh and Aram, I know you texted about it. I really didn't hate it. The, the Costas thing about uh, the Astros and how the narrative around that 2017 team, um, you know, th- there were still remnants of that in 2019. There's zero remnants of that in 2022. Correct. Um, I appreciated that he said that because you are running out of excuses if you want to blame the Astros for something. They were just better than the New York Yankees. The other thing um, that we can talk about right now, I want to push the Astros conversation back a little bit, is the fact that they immediately said, well, this could have been Aaron Judge's last game in a Yankee uniform. That is the immediate thing to do. Right. When you are a talking head on TV or in newspapers, I mean, think about how many times a star college basketball player gets bounced in the NCAA tournament. And the first question is not about the game. It's have you thought about your plans on entering the NBA draft or not? It's I understand baseball's a business, but the body's still warm. Yeah. He was thrust out. (laughs) And there are plenty of things to talk about within the game that happened that are super interesting or lack thereof in the sense of terribleness. Like to talk about judge right now is just jumping the gun for absolutely no reason. Zero clarity. We have no, we know nothing more than we knew just guessing a week ago, a month ago, two months ago. If anything, I still, I think progressively have felt better and better about judges chances of resigning from all the, like the little signs and little things that he's done here and there. But yeah, I mean, that's the last thing, obviously it crossed my mind, but it's the last thing I would have, I would have talked about uh, because you have a series to discuss (laughs) a a bad one, a a one-sided one at that, but I want to hear about, 
the Astros domination. I want to hear about, you know, where the Yankees came up short and how do the Yankees write this ship? Not, you know, the narrative around Aaron judge immediately after the game. And this unique judge scenario is so different than the same scenario with Carlos Correa last year. Right. I mean, when, when the Astros season was done, pretty much everybody knew that Correa was going to test the open market and go to the highest bidder. So it was probably his last game in an Astros uniform with judge. That is not the case because Aaron judge is not outspoken like Carlos Correa. Aaron judge just smiles, hits homers, and that's about it. So we have no idea what he's thinking right now. I'm with you. There was a whole series to discuss. Um, Do we want to start with that series or should I just give my apology out of the way now? Uh, Let's let's or go ahead. Arm. I was going to say, let's start with the series because I actually owe an apology too. I owe the same apology that Jack owes. And, yeah, and perfect. I've, I've been ready to wear that back a little bit because we're stubborn as hell. I'm in. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about Aaron Boone. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to get into. And I wanted yeah. to get your, your thoughts first, and then I'll fill in whatever gaps you may possibly leave. But I don't think there'll be much to fill in. <laughs> because you guys know me. Like, I am. I have always been... I rarely like to blame the manager because I never truly know whose decision is being made. Like, I don't, is it the front office telling Boone, like, this is who we want in this inning against these pitchers. But I think at some point there is a disconnect between Aaron Boone and the front office. So I'm just going to group them all in together because I think it's right to blame everyone in the Yankees organization at this point, because they're just behind and i think there was a few there was a few situations that symbolized the yankees just being behind first i think it was the reluctancy to not bench ikf and donaldson in situations like at the end of the game where they're just clearly not right not good enough i don't understand why donaldson was not either pinch hit for at some point in this past game. Uh, I know it's 3-0, but like, let's say we're trying to extend the season here. Donaldson couldn't have looked more lost. I, I, he's obviously been overmatched. You have some youngsters who, I get it, they, they're young, but at this point they're fast, they can play defense. I'd rather see what they could do than what Donaldson's doing, but I think they know that they've got another year signed up with Donaldson after this, so you're going to piss them off by pulling them in the playoffs? I don't know. Uh, but if they that's should. how we're basing decisions, uh, I don't know. Uh, the other thing is they would have been outclassed this series no matter what. So I'm not blaming it on Boone, but you have to look at the manager in a vacuum if you're trying to make this team the best version of itself possible. And I see a manager that made excuses, made questionable decisions, which every every manager does when you lose a series. But the excuses are what stand out to me the most. You're the New York fucking Yankees. Um and you're complaining about the roof on the road. Uh, you're complaining about exit velos. And, and, and I know that wasn't Boone, but I felt like Boone kind of fostered an environment of excuses. And that's why Luis Severino felt okay to complain about fucking exit velos. I always relate it back to my roommates because my roommates will always kind of have this, this step outside of the circle take on it because they're not baseball fans. They saw that headline and one of them goes, that's pretty stupid. Isn't the object of the game to hit it over the wall? Yes. Who cares how it yeah. got over the wall? And I was like, of course we think the same thing, but it's just like when you hear that from somebody, you're like, yeah, that is dumb as shit. Like that was exactly, you know, another scenario there where I feel like 
Aaron Boone may have fostered an environment that lacks accountability because yeah. we saw it on on the on the big stage. I mean, could you imagine feeling comfortable enough to complain about the roof to to the media? I mean, imagine what he is telling these guys in the clubhouse and, you know, maybe the lack of accountability that that's kind of being perpetuated inside of there. So I was going to say, Peter, you say you have no idea what the manager is doing in certain situations, right? Yeah. There and, is and, one. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. There, no, go ahead. I was just going to talk about the bullpen, like those kind of decisions within there, because there was just a couple of bad ones. And it was like bringing in Wandy, Loisaga, Clay Holmes in an elimination game that showed a sense of urgency, right? In other games, like in game five, when they went to Cole to Trevino, there's this confusion here between like how much of the Yankees really run by analytics. Because I remember that um, Aaron Boone said in the presser afterwards, he was like, we wanted to take out Cole against Mancini because Mancini had some good at bats against Cole. And I was thinking to myself, that must have been an analytics decision or that was just a dumbass decision because Mancini had a had a one pitch fly out and a six pitch walk. So it's like you obviously someone in the front office told you that Trevino's slider matches up well against Mancini or something, or like you have no feel. Yeah. So it th- th- that was another decision. And then the fact that they brought in Wandy. So there was that sense of urgency there, but in other games where it's not that it was an elimination game, but you still really need to win. You need to put out your best players. Like they tried in game one to try out Frankie Montas to see what they have. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Like there was, that's why at some point I have to say, well, I'm blaming someone and like Boone, there are too many bad decisions at this point to think that he can lead us to a world series. Like you can have great regular seasons. I can keep relying on that. But at the end of the day, there are so many missteps, whether it be Boone or the front office, that something needs to change. So tying both of your points together you don't know what a manager is doing in baseball in 2022 in terms of like putting together a checklist, what he does pregame, what he does during the game, all of that. You do know one thing that he does, and that is a manager is the vibe creator in a dugout. He is the barometer for how a team acts. And I think it's so funny how much Boone and Dusty Baker respect each other because they couldn't be more different. Yeah. Because Dusty is here, you know, shooing everybody away during the trophy ceremony. And he said that the biggest thing for me is I'm going back to the world series. Like I feel like the coolest dude ever, by the way, coolest dude ever. And I feel like even if they were down, you know, two Oh, in the series, like that guy knows he has this obligation to keep the morale in that clubhouse high enough to win games. Morale was piss poor at Yankee Stadium. Morale was piss poor in the stands at Yankee Stadium. Morale was piss poor in the dugout at Yankee Stadium, which I put on Aaron Boone. So if he's doing anything, he is curating vibes, and the vibes were fucking terrible this week. Yeah, one thing I do want to say is like, I mean, can you blame Yankee fans in the no, stands? No, not, not, <laughs> like, not at all. performance? Like, not at all. First of all, they're getting rained out and they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. For well, they only paid hundreds 20 of thousands bucks last night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, last... the, the amount of money spent on tickets and to get rained out and then to have to go home and the trains and the food and the amount of money that they're spending just to watch an absolute no show from the team. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, it, it, it's funny, though. At the beginning of the game, the vibes were still good. I was actually proud of Yankee fans for showing up 
through this shit show. I, I'm I live 20 minutes away. I wasn't fucking going. I wasn't paying 20 bucks to go down there, spend 20 bucks on each beer just to like drown in the sorrows to watch that shit show. So I respect a lot of Yankee fans there. You can't blame them. It's so yes, were the vibes in the stands, I guess not as great, but I mean, if they were winning, I'm sure they would be good. The vibes in the stands are a direct correlation of the vibes of the dugout. If the exactly. vibes in the you feed are off the players, yeah, exactly. you feed, you feed off, the off the players. That's and, how that's how baseball works. That's why we'll Miami get, is such a great environment for baseball. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's great is it's like, you know, for the players in Miami, it's it's kind of a turnstile. And for the fans, it's like a to- it's a tourist stop, you know, for a lot of people when they're in town. Like, oh, there's a Marlins game down the road, ten dollars. Let's go stop by. Uh, but the the one thing I do want to say, uh, in terms of of the manager situation is and maybe it's because these guys are older and have had health issues and things like that, that, that definitely plays into it. But you know, the, the narrative with, with the guardians was like, do it for Terry. The narrative with the Astros, you know, was do it for dusty. And when they were up on the podium, they were chanting, the players were chanting dusty, 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 dusty. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I saw that same level of, of like connection between the Yankees and Aaron Boone. And, and what's interesting is I do remember back to Joe Girardi And when Joe Girardi was on the hot seat and the Yankees were down in the series a few years back, they fought back. They, they did not want Joe Girardi to get fired and he ultimately did, but they fought back and gave it a really good series. And, and it it was because I I believe there was even a quote or two, Peter, you could probably correct me on this, where they were like, you know, we we, want to do this for Joe. Like I, I felt like they were fighting back for Joe Girardi. Uh, I didn't see that that fight for Aaron Boone. The Yankees know what, what comes with a sweep. It, it, it's it's job insecurity of Aaron Boone, and there just didn't seem to be that desperation to preserve their beloved manager uh, and, and save his job. So you say age and experience with Terry Francona and Dusty Baker, and that's why you could see some of that. How about what Justin Verlander said postgame, right? That, that's age and experience here. That's the 39-year-old on this team, and – you know, he, he was asked about perspective by Lauren Shahadi. And he said, having this game like taken away for a year and a half, two years mm-hmm. and and spending time with my daughter, you know, spending time with wife, kid. Um, and, and he he said that it, it made it easier for him to show up to the ballpark. It made it easier for him to buy in. And he had a brand new perspective. You only get that perspective with time and experience. And Dusty Baker has that perspective. Terry Francona has that perspective. Pro to hiring a young manager. You can think about baseball in a young, new, exciting way, which is how a lot of front offices think about it. Pro to hiring an experienced manager. You get a lot of that perspective and morale and innate baseball feel. Con to hire an experienced manager. Sometimes you get fucked with Tony LaRussa. Con to hiring a young manager. You don't have that innate feel for baseball and you don't have that perspective. There are two edges to the sword each way you go. So Aaron Boone screwed a lot of things up, but I want to talk about um, another play, which I felt felt like what symbolized the Yankees season. And that was the Glaber Torres flip to IKF. And the reason why I think it kind of symbolizes the season is first, why wasn't Oswald Peraza playing shortstop? And I think that kind of, that is a microcosm of the Yankees that all of these other organizations are so willing to put out their young players and give them a shot early on. 
like a Jeremy Pena won the NL or the ALCS MVP, something like that. And Peraza, besides the bat, at least with the glove, showed you nothing that you would ever be worried about. He made some incredible plays in the series and down the stretch where I thought to myself, he might be the best fielder already on the Yankees. That's how good he was at shortstop. And the the reluctance for the front office and Boone to move IKF off shortstop. But that's the thing. That's why I was talking about the... They showed their true colors when they did bench IKF for a little bit, but then they put him back in, right? So they knew he was pressing and it was never a problem with IKF at the bat. He won a gold glove at third base, but you decided to move him to shortstop and then never truly move off of him at shortstop. And then that play where he comes up and he he goes in really quickly into shortstop, was it on Glaber's fault too? I think it was both of their fault. Like yeah. IKF as a shortstop, you have to be in, a, in an athletic stance ready for anything because it's not always going to be a perfect feed. But then again, Glaber, can you give him a good feed? Yeah. yeah. Like it, 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 it was one of those feeds where IKF could have caught it if he was in an athletic stance and gotten that out, maybe not been able to turn it, but he came in too quickly around the bag. But I just felt like that was such the season right there. IKF playing shortstop, the reluctancy to take him off when Oswald Peraza could have been in there. Donaldson is at third base who just sucked. I mean, he was just terrible. Every single at bat was dog shit. He is now on the books again for 20 million again next year. That's like a, those a bargain. next to each other. I even texted the group chat. We were talking about whose fault it was. I was like, it was Donaldson's fault. Yeah. Who missed the play? Like, that's how bad Donaldson has been that I wanted to blame him. Because IKF's bat wasn't bad. He had like a 700 OPS in the playoffs. I mean, comparing that to the rest of the Yankees, it was one of the best on the team. IKF's bat wasn't really the problem. It was that he's not a shortstop. You brought in a shortstop who's not a shortstop. So the, the 10 defensive run Raza. save, the 10 defensive run save don't matter to you. You, you just, you're not buying those. I gotta say, dude. I mean, I, we were talking about it pre-record with with um with Donaldson. Donaldson. Like, I the defensive metrics may say, "Well, was that ten defensive runs saved at shortstop this year?" Yeah, like that doesn't even seem and he, real. And he played shortstop last year, ten defensive runs saved in a thousand three hundred and sixty eight. Yeah, that's unbelievable to me. I like you know, and I know you watch some Marlins. You uh, some Marlins games. You watch all the Marlins games. Like there's some defensive stats that just like don't make sense. I'm telling you, I watch. He doesn't look that good. He made plenty of big big errors in so many timely spots this year. I think that's what exacerbates it. Is is he made the big errors in big spots, which again is enough, right? If you make all the routine plays and the defensive metrics like you, but you're choking the big spots, which we saw IKF do several times. uh, I I think you got to look for somebody else. What's interesting too is, is they had so many options and I would have loved to have seen, and we saw Yankees fans pounding on the table for Peraza early you know, relatively early in the second half. And let's say you get Peraza up there early in the second half. Not only do you get a better idea of exactly what you have with him, he might've just hit the ground running or had some of those growing pains. Then over the course of a month, two months gets like really acclimated to the level and could have been a postseason force for you. He's a way more dynamic player. He adds more power. He's faster. He's probably a better defender. Um, 
I would have liked to have seen him get a, a fair shot a few months in and, and then ease his way into the postseason. Uh, but obviously, they really wanted to stick with IKF. And I what mean, I will say is also IKF had negative two outs above average. He was in the 19th percentile on outs above average this year. So like some defensive metrics may have liked him. But I'm telling you, like Josh Donaldson is another guy who we're talking about record, have some good defensive metrics. But I, when I look, it's like he's fine i mean he's better at third than ikf is at shortstop but i would prefer ikf at third base like i'm not saying ikf is a bad defensive player i just don't think he is the shortstop that you need like when we watch jeremy pena how much better is jeremy pena than him a lot better bounds better like that's a championship level shortstop right there now that's an incredible player have you thought about donaldson at short next year (laughs) (laughs) yeah Long and hard. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. I, so I think including the postseason, Peraza played 15 games with the Yankees this year, and Oswaldo Cabrera played 50 games with the Yankees this year. Why wasn't Peraza ready for the 50 that Cabrera was given? I thought he was. Yeah, he um, was. If those two both played 50, I feel better about going to one of those than kind of Falefa. But, you know, you can talk about defense all day long. What this comes down to is the anemic bats for the New York Yankees pretty much all postseason. They went five with the Guardians team that couldn't hit. And you look at the postseason numbers, Harrison Bader had a 1260 OPS. Anthony Rizzo had a 980 OPS. Great. Next best OPS was Isaiah Conner-Falefa at 683. Yeah, he was not the problem with the bat. That's why it's like everything I'm talking about is like semantics also. They just didn't fucking hit. Like that's why it's like, off the top, I was like, I could come up with all these excuses. That's why I was like, in my brain, I was having trouble. I was like, they just didn't fucking hit. And like, if you don't hit, you're not going to win baseball games. You ready for a, you ready for a slash line that I, I don't think I've ever seen before in my baseball <laughs> life. Seven games, Jose Trevino slashed 045, 043, 045. Have you ever <laughs> seen an 088 OPS? No. I think he had a single. Not once in my life have I ever seen an OPS under 100. If it's not all zeros, I don't think I've ever seen it under 100. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, that's a special level of sucking. But the thing is, it's not like Kyle Higashioka was any better. So I'd rather have Trevino at least framing the ball. Those metrics are good. 0 for 6 with 5 punch outs and a walk. Jesus, they really needed. Not that it'd be a difference, but I mean, DJ LeMahieu, my gosh, would he have been a nice taste breaker from the swings and misses that we got from top to bottom? And this is what we've talked about the last couple of years, kind of to, to put a bow on the on the offensive side of things with the Yankees. Is when you are a team, you know, it's funny because we we know about the the just uh, opposite pairing that them and the Guardians were. And I think what's interesting is the Astros are the hybrid between the Yankees and the Guardians, which is power and thump, but not at the full expense of contact, right? And uh, you got to be able to hit home runs in today's game because it's difficult to string together hits. But you also can't live or die by the homer because that's just too volatile of a way to live as a baseball team. And I think we've always feared that with the Yankees and we kind of saw it in its ugliest of fashion in this series. When you go against a pitching staff that can rack up K's as much as anybody, and you are a team that can K as much as anybody, it's going to get ugly when you guys go a little bit cold. It's just hard to score any other runs any other way. And I mean, you remove Aaron judge from this team 
what was this team this year? You know, and that's that's the question, right? Nobody had an F4 above 3.7. Was that the next best F4 on this team? Uh, on right. the After position player? Eleven win Aaron Judge. Yeah. So eleven point five win Aaron Judge, then no other position player was more better than a four win player. Nobody that's was better incredible. than a three point seven win player. This is not a great team without Aaron Judge. This is this is barely a playoff team, I think, without Aaron Judge. It's and it's, it's not know, that different from the from the teams that got bounced in the first round. And, you know, Aaron Judge is not out of the, you know, he wasn't all flowers. He was pretty bad. Yeah. Like, let's let's tell it how it is. He was not very good. He had a couple of home runs, so the stats were like, you know, he's still been clutchy as four big home runs in, in do-or-die situations. He has 36 WRC plus in the postseason. Is it that bad? Yeah. I'm seeing uh I have a 772 OPS in six years in the postseason. No, but I'm saying this in these nine games. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Judge no, Slatt, 139, yeah. 184, 306 with a 40% K rate. He was abysmal. Yeah. Abysmal. Just call it what it is. He was abysmal. Like, Doesn't take away from his regular season, which was historic. Yeah, it does. Incredible. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Doesn't. He sucked. No. no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't, but I'm upset. Like he was not good. I no, mean, it's, he, was, it's, he was horrible. It's blank check. It's blank check. He's the best player ever. He's the best player. He's the best player ever. He is 30 years old. You want to lock him in for 10 more years at $40 million a year? It's a conversation here. A bad postseason does not fill in but, the check. He's still oh, getting a blank check. I understand. But that's why I wanted to bring up his overall postseason numbers because I'm not going to judge him on this one. But is it fair that in six years, over 12 series, he has a 772 OPS, 211, 310, 462 slash line? The 462 aspect of it is because he does hit the home runs. But if he's not hitting the home runs, he doesn't have that many hits. And if I hear about how he was hitting the ball hard and about the exit velos, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. Like, all I've heard about the exit velos, it's like, get a hit. Alex Bregman... His home run had a 0-40 expected batting average. Well, it went out. Like, these guys just get hits. You don't. change of pace from Peter right now? That's you crazy. You don't. Because it, it's it's just, it's like we're hanging on it. And the Yankees hanging on it is what's keeping them back. It's like, right. well, we hit the ball hard. We just got unlucky. You get unlucky fucking every year. That's how your team is. Yeah. <laughs> we, At some we point, gotta... it's not unlucky. You just suck. We got to talk about the Strohs for a minute because this is the best team in baseball. Like, yeah. fuck their Oh, yeah. I mean, here we are. Like, I think Could everybody we say one more the... thing about Nestor. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah. yeah. I'm and, always, and, I'll always welcome Nestor's talk. One and more then, thing. And then we got to talk about the Astros. Yes. We'll talk about the Astros. One more thing about Nestor because the Yankees said that he was dealing with a groin injury, his velo was down. Then they went out and checked on him before that third inning. Said he wasn't healthy. Velo was down from 92 to 88. They kept him out there, and he gave up the home run. That was it. I mean, that wasn't it because it, he tried it his best. game, and then I mean, they took the lead and then blew it again. But, it like, that that's another thing on Boone or the management. I don't know. The training staff, something. Like, what are you doing? If he's hurt, why are you pitching him? And then you're like, Boone's like, we just want to ride our guys, and, like, we trust in Nestor. That's idiotic. If he's hurt, he's hurt in the playoffs. If you have a if you have a left-handed pitcher who the Astros have destroyed this year, they're one of the baseball's best off lefties. Throwing 88 hurt. What do you think's gonna happen? 
What do you think's gonna happen? Nestor what did happened? not deserve that. He was been he's been unreal. That's why I don't want to blame even a second of this on Nestor. No, nah, absolutely he's not. Just grinding, grinding out there. What do you, what a year for Nestor too? I mean, I, I I'm really I'm really happy for him, excited for him, and he's one of the few silver linings. That's a guy that's earned, I think, the trust. Yeah, both yeah. in the regular season and Love the postseason. Him. He's a key cog of what they're gonna build in the rotation moving forward. Hundred percent. All right, Strohs. Is that unfair? Um, is any of that unfair? No. No, it's all fair. It's all fair. Let's talk about the Astros now. <laughs> all uh, right, fine. The Houston Astros were the best team in the American League all year long, maybe yep. except for April, when, when yes. the Yankees jumped out to this blazing start. Everybody they was were, like, like oh still better. Yeah, but, I mean, it was always the Astros. The Astros were inevitable. And, and here we are with the promised ALCS matchup. We knew one team was better. Did the Yankees have any magic dust left over? And the answer was no. But I think a lot of that was because the Astros were just so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Their starting pitching is incredible. They stayed, for the most part, healthy all year long. Their bullpen, dynamite. Their lineup, the one question mark coming into this year, one ALCS MVP. I mean, they are as flawless a baseball team as we've been able to find in a decade. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's funny because it's like everything we we applaud the Dodgers for, the Astros are that right. They, they're exactly that with execution. Uh, and I know, like we could we could talk about more recent history, even from 2017 on, like be past 2017. They've been exactly what the Dodgers. Are. The difference is, you know, the Dodgers just dominate the regular season and and they build this this high level farm system in terms of like prospects grades and all of these things. And they dominate the headlines too. And of course LA, it's LA, it's California. LA, but like, it, it, I think the big thing is, is also the prospect side of it. It's like, we're always looking at the Dodgers prospect wealth. How often are we talking about the Astros prospect wealth and not, not since sports illustrated, you know, projected them as the world series champs, you know, in that incredible magazine headline because they were so loaded organizationally. I mean, Jeremy Pena was far from a top prospect. I mean, up going into the season, we gassed him up. I was highlighting him. Yeah, can I, love can I say him. something? What? January 12th, 2022, it would be an aggressive move, but I think Jeremy Pena could hold it down for the Astros at shortstop next year. The glove is ready now, and he was enjoying a major power breakthrough in AAA before going down with an injury. One of the names I'm excited to see this spring. January 12th, 2022, arm fucking Leighton. Thank you, sir. And he's going to apologize for his bad take on the Phillies, but I mean, holy shit. Are you kidding me? Just won NLCS MVP. Thank you, sir. Thank you, take. sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. If I had that. a crown, I'd give it to you. But <laughs> I just have hat head. Thank you. I, and I love Pena. I've fallen in love with him as a player, too. So that's one that I love. I love being right about. Hey, and think about, like, when did we start talking about Hunter Brown? When he started throwing really well this year? What, yeah, what was like? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I didn't care about him <laughs> prior to the season. Exactly, I promise dude. I didn't. I didn't. No, you know, I mean, Division two, right state, fifth round pick. Uh, what are the Wayne Yankees state. versions Wayne of state that? Like, how was Clark Schmidt? What's this worth now? <laughs> Nothing. Not much. Zero. Uh, yeah, Yankees man. I mean, version of all this. Yeah. The Astros, they just do it. Their development is unmatched right now. Um, their spending habits are unmatched right now. They do everything well. James Click deserves a shit ton of credit here. 
What did they do at the deadline? They didn't go big at all, man. They got Christian Vasquez, who was okay being a backup to a guy that cannot hit, but he's that good at managing a staff that he's hanging in there. Their main addition at the trade deadline hit like 160 for him in 50 games. And here they are still thriving without him. Their future Hall of Famer started his postseason 0 for 25, and they haven't lost. And their other Hall of Famer got shelled in his first outing. Yeah. And they won that game. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's just insane. So I saw another thing, too, is that everyone the Astros have hired from their scouting to their player development to their GM, like, everyone is, like, 2019 hire, 2018, 2020, 2021, 2022. The Yankees, it's, like, 1998. When right. they had Jeter and Posada and Mariano, and they're still stuck in that. They think that people are afraid of them when they're just a big joke. They're just like the Yankees are a huge laugh. I bet other teams are looking at their analytics department being like, <laughs> just behind, idiots. So the Astros for the last six, seven years have been more forward thinking in the minor leagues than many other organizations in baseball. And and they were one of the very first organizations to use video as, as often as organizations do. Um, They were one of the first organizations to have a database for stats, much like what every organization has now. Um, But think about how the Astros play baseball. They throw strikes. They don't strike out that often. So that is a non analytically driven way to play baseball and it's been driven by video and data they know how to interpret data as well as anybody in any sport but can i also say this there has to be that level of feel and they have it i almost feel like the yankees have dove so far into analytics that they have no feel anymore like the, I've, am I wrong here? Like we're talking Astros, about the Astros, dude. We're talking about the Astros. Have this incredible. No, I'm I'm complimenting the Astros by saying this. Like the Astros <laughs> are able to combine analytics and have incredible feel on top of it. Like a manager like Dusty Baker. You think Dusty Baker is looking at the ex Woba? Like he might. Well, use actually, it, no. But so I here, think he has incredible feel. Like here's that's the interesting. That's thing. what it feels like. Here's the interesting thing. There's there's actually a rift, which is the most insane part about all of this is a reported rift. John Heyman just put out a whole piece on this and, and it has quotes from both of them. So it's pretty they've all but acknowledged it. Click and Dusty Baker. I don't know how long. I mean, if they win the World Series, I think they'll find a way to make this work. I think they already will now that they made it. But a piece came out like a week ago from John Heyman talking to both of them about and people within the organization about how Click is very analytically driven and some around him think he's almost too analytically driven. And Baker obviously is more of a field guy. And Click went out and got Mancini and, and got some of these other guys and and wanted to see Baker use him more. And Baker didn't. He just off of his feel. He just didn't feel like those guys were the right guys for his lineup and the right guys in certain spots. And, and it. there was a big there's a big disconnect in a lot of ways between Baker and Click. And some within the organization believe it's one or the other. Baker's already coming back. So there's a chance that Click could be gone, which is nuts. Uh, and he was the guy that replaced Lunhow, who was obviously forced out because of the whole sign-stealing scandal. I think they find a way to coexist. But the fact that you have this rift right now and and you you wouldn't know it on the baseball field, it, it kind of shows you how they're, they're hands-on but hands-off. And I just talked to Zach Daniels when I was out in the Arizona Fall League, one of the better prospects in the Astro system, just went 2020 this year crazy athlete that has always been a little bit behind in his polish. And I was just like, 
do you think you would have made the leap this year that you've made in any other organization? He's like, probably not. What they give you from top to bottom information wise. And that's a prospect in high A. Yeah. You know what these big leaguers have at their disposal. It's not a coincidence that Verlander kicks in and to, to his prime gear again when he gets there. Charlie Morton, you know, reinvents himself in a lot of ways when he's there. Uh, you look at what Luis Garcia has done leap wise. Framber Valdez was a Christian prospect Javier. nobody wanted. Christian Javier was a swing man that now has turned into a, a legitimate number two caliber starter when he's right. I mean, there's no coincidence here. They know how to squeeze the most out of their players, and we are seeing it. And the fact that they're doing this with Jose Altuve going, what was it, three for 32. Yeah. Doesn't and it's matter. not like Kyle Tucker has been great either. Right. Like, they are doing it despite them. It's it's really incredible. And, and also Jordan about Altuve. Yeah, Jordan Wilkold, also Altuve, the last hits at the end, I feel like now he's going to get hot. He just had mm-hmm. to see a couple go through. You see the dugout just get fired up for him. They're like, you're back, you're back. And if he's back, it's over. I mean, he, they're they're so electric. Like, if Altuve can go hitless – and you sweep, and then he gets hot again. Jordan, same thing. Couple yeah. of those hits at the end too. Jax, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, one last thing on the Astros for me before we get to our apology that we promised off the top about 45 minutes into the episode. Um, the, I mean, they are so set up for success, and I I do want to like wrap the Astros conversation with what Bob Costas said post game about like the you know, the excuses and all that, because I, I did think it was a pertinent point. Naram, I know that you weren't the biggest fan of, of him bringing it up, and I want to hear why you weren't the biggest fan of it. But what I will say is there are three guys left over from that 2017 team. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel. I understand 2017 tarnished. You can view it as illegitimate. I view it as they want it same way that you know, teams won the World Series with PED users. I mean, the last Yankee ring came with several PED users on the roster. What are you talking um, about, A-Rod? <laughs> so <laughs> it, that, that's the thing. So, like, what are you going to do? Start start taking away all those World Series championships? No, absolutely not. Um, it happened. Do you want to put the mental note next to it? Bob Cost is called it a mental asterisk. Yes, I put that mental asterisk next to the 2017 Houston Astros World Series. Since then, they have made every single ALCS. 2018, there might be some remnants of cheating, sign stealing. Okay. 2019, remnants of cheating, sign stealing. Okay. 2020, COVID, whatever. You run out of excuses. It gets less and less every single year. And in 2022, there is nothing to hold against the Houston Astros anymore. Which is why... yeah. I think bringing it up is is almost just like counterproductive at this mm, point. But here's the thing. There is still a faction of baseball fans that will constantly bring it up. Forever. Astros is cheaters forever. So you can either suppress it or you can say, I hear you, but you're wrong. And I like the second option. I hear you, but you're wrong about this Astros team. Yeah, I, I, I and I and I get that. I, I, the last thing I'll say on this before I have a really nice thread on Dave Dombrowski queued up. Um, it, for me, it's just like let's turn the freaking page, man. I mean, the ALCS MVP is a 25 year old who came out of the University of Maine, was hurt his entire last season. Nobody knew what he was going to be this year for the most part. Uh, replaces Carlos Correa went to the winter league to get ready. Like we could be talking about that, but instead we're talking about a fucking sign stealing scandal from a half decade ago. I just don't care anymore 
I want to talk about the team and what they're presently doing. And it's like, okay, yeah, but he was technically, you know, at their defense saying like, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Let's focus on, you know, what these guys are doing. The front office members aren't even there for the most part anymore. They're not there. Nobody's left over except those three players. So let's turn to the freaking page. Uh, Ten years from now, are we going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I know people like to negate the Astros wins, but Altuve just retired. There's no one left from that team. Like, just let it go. Because I feel like at this point, whenever you're bringing it up, it's like, I, I might not have even thought about it if you didn't bring it up. Like that's a lot where a lot of people were at. And here we are first topic right after the Astros sweep the freaking Yankees in New York on a, just a masterful performance. Oh, you know, this is, this is a lot different than the sign ceiling scandal. Th- like let's I, let it go. I let think, go. I think you're both right. Like, I think there is a level to what Jack is saying where like it, it should be acknowledged because such a large part of MLB fans still hold it so tight yes. to the chest. But then to Arm's point, at he, he's coming from a prospect background, right? And he's seeing what the Astros are doing and how incredible it is and how it just kind of gets thrown to the wayside. Like what you were talking about with Framber. Like Framber was a had no command. He was like a I don't even think where he was right. He's the oldest Dominican summer league player of all time. And then they <laughs> developed him into the best ground ball pitcher. And to Jack's point, the best number two in baseball, Christian Javier, one of my worst takes I've ever made was that he couldn't make in the rotation. Then he comes into Yankee stadium. It's just casual. No hitters. Yeah. Like not, he pitched pretty well throwing no fucking hitters like Luis Garcia didn't even pitch in this series, but he did in, in the, in the original series against the Mariners where he threw five shutout in order to get them to this part. In extras. Yeah. Jeremy Pena university of Maine, like was a glove first guy that hit three forty five and won the NLCS MVP. Jordan was traded from the Dodgers as like an extra for Josh Fields. Like Jose Altuve is it is a statistical anomaly. Yeah. Like, like, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So I totally Bregman bounce back. From arm. They deserve so much more. I mean, Bregman, think about it. Bregman was a, he was, I mean, he was a top he pick, the but they got boy. Brady let's Aiken. They got a, they got Brady Aiken. And because Brady Aiken didn't sign, they flipped him into Alex Bregman. Like their draft, their player development, the way they do everything is so above everybody else. Like I would argue it's above the Dodgers. How can it not be In above a lot the of Dodgers? Ways, they are. They are the ultimate. Like when I say the ultimate, the ultimate. prospects, they are the ultimate. Yeah. They are the the perfect organization in that sense. But they, but to Jack's point, they do have the asterisks. But it's clouding what sort of amazingness the Astros have been able to produce over the decade. They are the team of the decade. They are unbelievably amazing. You poll every baseball fan. And you ask them the same question. Who is your least favorite team? The Astros percentage has skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. And I bet it's higher than the New York Yankees right now. Well, I bet people hate winning, winning too. People yeah. hate winning too. So hate them for winning. Don't hate them for what happened five years ago that has zero impact on what happened in 2022. That's my thought. All right. Dive into the Dombrowski thing. Arm. All right. Brian Bannister put out a great thread. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll start first with, what what Jack and I um, have have just made fun of specifically Dave Dombrowski for pushing all the chips forward and and oftentimes depleting a farm system and uh, when you come up short and deplete the farm system and push all the chips forward it looks really ugly 
But this Brian Bannister thread, it's at real Banny, B-A-N-N-Y. Uh, somebody who, by the way, he he worked with with him for, for several years. Phenomenal was a 2018 world champ with the Red Sox with, uh, of course, Dave Dombrowski. And it, it's, it's something I highly recommend you read. It's after spending five years working directly with Dave Dombrowski and winning the World Series in 2018. I have a thread I'd like to share of why he's such a special baseball executive. The spark notes of it is... This guy does what it takes to win a World Series. But but not only that, he does all the little things in terms of we talk about the vibes that you curate in your organization. A lot of GMs say that's not my responsibility. Dave Dombrowski from this thread, and, and, and I can really believe it now with what they've been able to do to get to the World Series now with, with what, three different teams? Is, is that what he's done now? Um, yeah. And could potentially win it with three different teams. Um, you know, when you look at what, he, what, what this breaks down to is just – him curating a great environment, being responsive, attentive, caring, kind. And not only that, not afraid to whiff. We talk about AJ Preller, but I feel like he's just more calculated. He's aggressive. He is fearless. He's not afraid to strike out uh, and going for it all. But he doesn't just make trades to make them like we see with with AJ Preller. Uh, but, you know, all of the things that we made fun of Dombrowski for, this Brian Bannister thread is like, I hear you. But this is why it works. And here he is in the World Series with the Philadelphia freaking Phillies. And I think you got to argue it just kind of works. The highlight of it, of this thread for me was he believes in superstar players coming up with superstar plays in the (laughs) biggest settings. And you know why the fucking Phillies are in the World Series? Because their superstar players have come up with superstar plays in the biggest moments. And here they are playing in what will be the World Series for 2022. So Dave Dombrowski inherited a guy on this roster that is cut from a different cloth than really any player in Major League history. Um, And I I wrote an article about him that's out on JustBaseball.com right now. I said, welcome to Bryce Harper's magnum opus. It's it's live on Just Baseball. So um, check it out. And it's kind of like... um, Uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, I'm just kind of sucking him off for about 700 words, 800 words. <laughs> Meat and, I mean, it. It he deserves <laughs> it, though. That's the thing. And, and you say that Dave Dombrowski leans on the superstars of the game in the biggest moments. This was a guy who was labeled as the baseball version of LeBron James, the Messiah, when he was 16 years old. They measured a ball that he hit at 570 feet across a highway. The E60 Which isn't real. is a stuff <laughs> of fucking legends, man. I mean, they said his dad was throwing him coffee beans or like bottle caps in the garage and he's hitting them here and he was missing like 100 days of school a year. What Bryce Harper has had to endure is coming up as the 19-year-old, winning rookie of the year, being labeled a shithead for the first five years of his career, signing a $330 million deal before he turned 26 years old and still coming over to Philly and being, wow, is this little shit actually going to do it? Is he going to do anything? He didn't go to the postseason for five years. And his first time here, not only is he leading active players in the postseason in OPS, only guy better than him, I think in the OPS department this postseason was Matt Olson with a much smaller sample size. He's tied with Reese Hoskins with five homers and 11 RBIs. But what Bryce has done, think about his last three homers. Kenley Jansen, game four of the NLDS. Backside homer down the left field line. 
Unbelievable. Second at bat of the NLCS against you, Darvish. Backside homer to left center. And then how about what he did in the bottom of the fucking eighth inning against Robert Suarez? I mean, this guy is one of the most gifted hitters of all time because he was born with so much of it, but he also worked his ass off. Mm -hmm. He had the greatest tunnel vision I think we've seen in years in baseball. And it's all paying off right He's now. He's doing this with a torn fucking UCL too, it, it, like in and also recovering from the thumb, which I'm sure is still far from perfect. He's got a messed up thumb, torn UCL, and he's hitting at the highest level in the and the biggest moments that we've seen. It, it's incredible. He continues to evolve as a hitter from a guy that overswings to now he swings hard early and counts two strikes, no stride, goes the other way, does everything. He is a complete hitter, and and he's just incredible to watch. And I think your point, um, like about the Messiah of baseball, and it does compare well to LeBron. Like, doesn't this have the same energy as coming back down three one from the Warriors? Like, it's not exactly the same because basketball and baseball it's so it's so difficult to compare them because one player in basketball, you have five guys on the floor and you can make such a bigger impact in baseball. Like Bryce Harper could hit a home run every time, but if the pitcher allows 10 runs, like you'll lose. So it's not the same exact thing, but it's almost that recognition of he can almost do no wrong now. Like he really lived up to everything that we thought he could be, which is so hard because the expectation was so monumental, higher than really anyone we've seen, but he's living up to that. I mean, what else could you expect from this guy? He is putting a t- a city that hasn't won on his back and dragging them there. But, of course, like, there have been great performances from everybody else. I want to talk about Zach Wheeler for a second because, like, where does he rank among pitchers in baseball? One, I mean, he is unfucking believable but Bryce Harper, like, all the credit in the world. Yeah. Um, before we get into Wheeler – let me issue like the concrete apology to Dave Dombrowski. And it's not like a shack to Christian Wood thing. Like I apologize. <laughs> I wasn't I'm, familiar. With, I wasn't, I wasn't familiar, familiar with your game. With your game. <laughs> um, it's, that's not it. Um, because I, I was familiar with his game. And I think Aram and I shared similar sentiments to Dave Dombrowski. We thought he was a glorified AJ Preller. Okay? And, you know, these moves made no sense on paper. But obviously the game is not played on paper. He knows that. He knows that superstars come up in the big moments like you're saying here. Um, the big thing that I take away from this is you signed Schwarber, you signed Castellanos, and we totally didn't, we totally ignored the fact that Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos are fucking perfect for the Philadelphia Phillies fan base. That's the type of thing that Dabrowski just kind of leans into. Yes, mm-hmm. you play this game on a spreadsheet before you put them out on the field, but he put guys out on the field that just embody climbing up light poles if the team wins. And and this team caught lightning in a bottle because they got a whole bunch of dudes that are crazy. I'm not sure if you guys saw the Cespedes barbecue uh, article on Brandon Marsh during the NLDS, but this guy pours water on his head 15 times a game. That's why his hair looks so fucking like, I thought it was like greasy. No, he's a wet guy. There are like wet guys around and he's a wet guy. Like they've got a whole bunch of psychopaths in their own right. And that's exactly what the Philadelphia Phillies needed to get over the hump. Just an assortment of sociopaths. And they got it. A hundred percent. And it's like, you can see the cohesiveness there. Also, you know, if we're going to detract in certain areas with managers kind of, supporting the, the point here rob thompson 
the players love him. When he got ex- when he got the deal, you know, and, and was no longer, you know, they removed the interim label from his forehead. Uh, the the team was reportedly like amped up and fired up about it. They were very happy because they wanted to win for Rob Thompson. Their incentive was win ball games. This guy ends up being our manager long term, and they wanted that, and they won for him. They pushed extra for him. You can see the passion that they're playing with. You can see every home run. They're looking right into the dugout. You can tell this is a tight group. You can tell they they work really well together, and I think Rob Thompson's also the perfect guy. You don't need a very, you know, I don't think you need the most experienced manager in the world for this. This is a very experienced team. This is a, a team that could almost coach itself in a lot of ways when you see the way that they carry themselves. And I think Thompson's the perfect guy to guide them and still let them be who they are and let this team be what it is. And, I mean, what it is is when it's clicking – one of the best teams in baseball. And, and the thing too is Dave Dombrowski made the small little moves to, you know, kind of accentuate their strengths, hedge some of the weaknesses. Brandon Marsh is one of the best examples of that. Horrible defense. Go get one of the best defensive center fielders. And Mondo Sosa was a big part of what of getting here for them. Yeah. You know, infield defense a problem. Sosa plugs in and instantly helps that. Alec Bohm just improving. How about sticking with Alec Bohm? How many times have we mock trade that guy? How many times did we say like, oh, maybe we should, maybe he should go somewhere else. Sticking with Alec Bohm and seeing the way he has grown. Um, it, it, it's really incredible. All the decisions that Dombrowski has made in this season have gone right for them. And that's what you have to have a little bit of luck, a little bit of great decisions and all of the little things in between uh, to maximize that luck. When you have a window, you jump right through it. Dombrowski and these Phillies did. And that's why they're here. And I don't want to compare to the Yankees, but I think it's just important to praise Dombrowski in this type of scenario because Aram, Bryson Stott versus Oswald Peraza, are they worlds apart of prospects? Uh, not necessarily, no. Not necessarily, but they bought into Bryson Stott. They said, you are the shortstop. I was, they gave him was... all the confidence in the world, and look at what he's done. He is such a good at-bat. He can play a great defensive shortstop. That's why, you know, it's Phillies fans being like, you know, are we going to be in on Trey Turner? Like, maybe, but you got Bryson Stott. Uh, he looks like guy. a potential great shortstop. Maybe moves over a second. Maybe, whatever. He's That is a player that they trusted in, and look at how well he's done. Astros, same thing there, too. And that's another Dave Dombrowski versus Brian Cashman. Like, Brian Cashman was afraid to be wrong. He wouldn't move off of his guys. He made some good decisions, but Dave Dombrowski, another credit to him, if he made a wrong decision, he wasn't DD afraid was to gone. write it. D.D. was gone, baby. He was, they, gone. They he was like, you know what? If, if that was like a Yankee signing, like that was the version of IKF. Like they just stuck with him and they were like, it's going to work. The numbers are going to regress to the mean at some point, but they didn't. Yeah. Like that is just credit to Dave Dombrowski. Yeah. Where in situations where you could have said, you know, this is our plan from the beginning, like we're sticking with this guy. They didn't. They moved into feel. It's funny too, because those are my two favorite both. Those were my two favorite shortstop prospects. And I was worried that the Phillies wouldn't. I, I was very worried. I literally have a tweet from March 27th. If Bryson Stott doesn't win the shortstop job for the Phillies, I'm calling Bronx bias on Joe Girardi. Um <laughs> And ultimately, I think DD kind of took care of it himself too with the way he played. And, yes. uh, but I, I love that Stott has had this opportunity because he stunk in the first half of the season, had the ability to stink, get better, get more comfortable, get confident, then playoffs. And boom, that's where he is. And he's been able to, to be a big piece of what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. How about both World Series teams have rookie shortstops? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting when you think about it that way.
Yeah, dude. All right. Wheeler. Wax poetic on Zach Wheeler for a minute, Peter. Dude, when he is 97 to 98, and he had a big velo uptick during this postseason because we know that he's dealt a little bit with injuries, but going back to that 2021 year, he was one of, if not the best pitcher in all of baseball. I mean, he was in that conversation. Whether he won the Cy Young or not, you know, you compare him to Corbin Burns, whatever. It's it's all apples and oranges, whatever. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. But when the going got tough, I kept saying in my write-ups, like, you know, you know, gambling on baseball all the time. I value Zach Wheeler, like when we look at a line, as one of, if not the best pitchers in baseball. And he continues to do that against any offense. Cardinals pitch pretty well, right? He had one bad inning against the Braves. And it was really on a Reese Hoskins failing to get in front of the ball. Ever since then, it is about as dominant as you can be. Every other pitcher in this postseason, Verlander, Arias, DeGrom, Scherzer, they all had their blowups or all didn't look great in some particular spot. One pitcher in this postseason has looked as good as anybody, and that is Zach Wheeler. And that's what I think, for example, like when I when I was because I just I owe the Phillies an apology too. I was on the bandwagon during the regular season, but I jumped on it after I watched that Cardinal series because I thought to myself, if you have Wheeler and Nola. Those are almost two wins against anybody in any team in any situation because they are that good. And Wheeler, you know, Nola had that blow up, but like I still think very, very highly of Nola. I'm not putting that against him. But Wheeler hasn't had that. He has just been absolutely phenomenal day in and day out. And when he's pumping 97, the command is excellent. The breaking balls, the poise on the mound too. Like I I was hearing after the presser when he got hit by that comebacker, where it went back to Jay Tromoto, you guys saw that ball when it looked like it hurt. He was like, yeah, I just put some numbing stuff on it, couldn't feel it at all. Like, he just bypassed that question. Because he's like, I'm not even thinking about that shit. Like, I am down your throat. <laughs> and he is as good as any pitcher in Major League Baseball. I think he's with DeGrom. I think he's with Scherzer, whatever you want to call it. He is right there as one of the best pitchers in our game. One superstar pitcher does this every year. Right. Max Fried did it last year for the most part. Uh, before that, 2020 was Walker Bueller. He did that in the postseason with um, with the Dodgers. 2019 was Washington. It was Strasburg who won Strasburg's World Series MVP. Mastery. I mean, yeah. that was insane. I, it's every year a team that makes the World Series is riding one of their franchise cornerstone starting pitchers. And, yeah. and this year, it's Zach Wheeler. And, and we were IDing a bunch of guys at the beginning of the postseason. Who's going to be the one that people ride? And and I think we were saying Max Freed is going to be the one that people ride. Julio Arias is going to be the one that people ride. Um, Justin Verlander is going to be the one that the Astros ride. Garrett Cole. Wheeler was probably fifth or sixth on that yeah. list if we were going to do it. I mean, hell, Scherzer or DeGrom. We were talking about them before. That. Yeah, I mean, you have to, right? Yeah. I- and, and here we are. And Zach Wheeler is the superstar pitcher that is having this superstar postseason, and he will never be looked at the same. Now. They have been – Nola and Wheeler have combined for 43 strikeouts and six walks. That's they, incredible. They're refreshing to watch because you get the, the pitching ninja stuff that we love to see, but you also don't have that come at the expense of, like, command, tempo, and strikes. So you get to see the great stuff, and you also get to see – what is just a lot of strikes and, and pounding the zone. Speaking to that, though, the Padres, great run. 
you Darvish was phenomenal uh, yeah. overall. You really uh, Darvish really, I, I think th- this team doesn't get couple where they are mistakes. with that. Yeah, Just a small mistake. But I mean, they were stretching. I mean, they they were talking about yeah. riding a guy. They rode you Darvish as far as they could. He was spectacular this season for the most part. He was spectacular in the postseason. Darvish looked really good. Musgrove That's always great. great. Yeah. Yep. Wait, what was that? Musgrove looked great. Musgrove looked great through the postseason. The Padres have a lot to build on. I just wanted to hit on them real quick because there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic in San Diego, I think. Can I ID one thing real quick? That game four, Clevenger and Bailey Falter. That's the worst thing of all time. That's the (gasps) easiest over bet I've ever hit in my life. (laughs) That was horrible. I just needed to get that out there. That was the dumbest fucking starting pitching matchup I've ever seen in post. I like how they both went at each other. I feel like they had a conversation. They were like, should we just make game four like nuts? Let's not get out of the first inning. How funny would that be? We won't start our our Wheeler in game four if you don't start Darvish in game four. We'll just say, fuck it. We'll just see who wins. Yeah, (laughs) I swear they they agreed. I go, like, well, we both won't try that hard. Browski and Preller were just like, let's let's roll them out. Let's let's uh, do, let's do our thing here. That over almost hit in the first inning. It, it, um, did, it did. It was it, well. Oh no, it was like eight. It was eight, and they scored seven in the first inning. <laughs> uh, you know it, that that was tough, and it stinks because Mike Clevenger really, if he was the guy that they acquired, holy advantage Padres. We have another game, right? I mean, they they acquired a number two starter, number three at worst. What's happened is injuries have really slowed him down, and and he is kind of a shell of himself. And I could go into that trade. I tweeted out a screenshot of that yeah, trade. Bad, it was brutal. Bad. It's a bad one. I mean, it's half of the starting lineup for the Guardians, including yeah. Cal Quantrill, uh, including Gabriel Arias, including a, a lot of other guys, Hedges in there as well. Um, but I, I really think this was a good season for the Padres, given the circumstances. I mean, talk about distractions. Losing your best player uh, in a lot of ways. Though I'd argue Machado, you, you can make the case as their best player. Tatis at his peak is their best player. Um, the or Soto. Eb- <laughs> or Soto now, yeah. The ebbs and flows of their rotation. Like, we know how talented they are, but this team could have easily got bounced in the wild card round and we wouldn't have blinked, right? Like, we would have been like, oh, yeah, I mean, they, that's how it's been for them this year. This is a team that I think has a lot to build on. They get Tatis back, who should be humbled, uh, who should be a different guy. If so. not, then, you know, maybe they – Maybe they look to move him. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. That's what the offseason's for. What I will say, though, is certain guys stepped up in the rotation. The team looks really good. I think they grew a lot as a unit, and they made a really solid run overall. They ran into the hottest team I can remember in the playoffs in recent memory with the Phillies, and you know they lost. That said, it wasn't like this one-sided domination like we saw in the ALCS, and I think the Padres are going to be back. I really do. I think they're going to build off of this. I think Preller's going to make some moves, as we know, and they, they, he doesn't need to swing for the fences. They just need some small, accentuating moves, and I think they're going to make them. This team's going to be good next year. I really believe it. And just to quantify what Arm's saying a little bit about Clevenger not looking exactly like he was on Cleveland, because in 2019, Mike Clevenger averaged 95.4 miles an hour on the fastball. This year, 93.6. That's a big drop. That's, That's a, a huge drop. drop. He is not what they traded for. Like, simply put, he is a four. Like, he is a lot closer to Kyle Gibson than he is to you, Darvish, right? Correct. Like, that's that's what he is at this point, unless he rejuvenates himself, and maybe this was just an injury-laden season. But at the end of the day, he has not looked the same since 2020. And another thing I really want to talk about the Padres, because this has been a hot button of debate, and I honestly, like, this really got to me because, like, when Arm then texted in the group chat, like, hindsight is twenty twenty. I was like, that's exactly what I'm thinking. It was the Robert Suarez, Josh Hader decision. Because Bob Melvin, at the end of the game, said, 
you know, we've been riding Suarez and Manny's been good. And we've talked about on the podcast, like how good is Robert Suarez been? And he he said something, which I tweeted out too. It goes over watching the post game. Bob Melvin said, I think that was the first home run that Robert Suarez allowed against a lefty this year. I saw your tweet. And, I, and I, I went up, I was like, no way. Like, that's just Bob Melvin being like, you know, hyperbolic, just hyperbolic yeah. to talk about his guy. He was right. But at the end of the day, it was like in a limited sample. He didn't face a ton of lefties. So there is that back and forth there. But like the better the better player came up big. Like and that, Josh that's what Hader, it was. what was our big thing about Hater? It was the amount of rest. It was yeah. the fact that if he's not blowing in 100, if he's not totally fresh, that he was the 5'7 ERA guy. But when he had those days off of rest, when he came in in the ninth in perfect situations, he looked like God among men. He was that good. The, When's the last time he went in for five outs? So it's like, I just want to talk. No, I, I agree. I'm, I think, I think you're right. It's, on. it's so easy to to say when a guy, when Bryce Harper hits a home run on, what wasn't really that bad of a pitch? It was probably it was a, a little pitch. bit. It's just yeah, Harper's it was, amazing. Felt high. It's amazing. It's, Bryce Harper's amazing. It was outer half running away. Um, you know, hundred. It, <laughs> it's, it's just a really good player putting a, a really good swing on a you know pitch that wasn't perfect, and you got to be perfect against Bryce Harper. Hindsight's twenty twenty. If if we tried, to, if they tried to stretch out Josh Hader there, and and he doesn't come up, they're gonna be like, they had Suarez ready in the bullpen. Like it's just one of those things. Yep. Suarez has been your guy. If he can't get you there, if he can't bridge the gap, it is what it is. Harper came up big, and, and and that's the thing. Real quick, though, I do want to highlight the exact details of the trade was Clevenger and Greg Allen for Gabriel Arias, Austin Hedges, Owen Miller, Josh Naylor, Cal Quantrill, and Joey Cantillo. He's and good. Cantillo is the only guy who has is not a big leaguer in that group. One nine three ERA in Double A as a left-handed pitcher this past year. Yeah. Um. So every single guy was on the postseason roster. Or and most of them started for the Guardians and Cantillo is is you know one of their better left-handed pitchers. And Quantrill's better than Clevenger. Yeah. Yes. He, yes. 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 Quantrill at this point is better than Clevenger. And, and don't forget about a uh, player to be named later that went to San Diego, Matt Waldron, who is now a Triple uh, A knuckleballer. Oh, that's electric. Sick. That's electric. That that's then cool. that that helps a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> that does help a little bit. But also the reason why, you know, so hot button is I saw people saying fire Bob Melvin. Uh, I said, what are you smoking? Bob Melvin took a Padres team that lost Fernando Tatis Jr. to get that clubhouse back in gear. Mm -hmm. And they went to the NLCS. They just beat the 110, 111, 170 win Dodgers. Yeah. (laughs) Like that is unbelievable what he was able to do. And not it's just, you know, it's not just, oh, they beat the Dodgers. That's the rival. That's the team that has owned you all year. So to get your clubhouse ready to go in order to have the confidence to go into LA and win baseball games and never feel like that you're out of it, that is managing at its finest. He made one small mistake. And it's like, was it even a mistake to throw your second best reliever in the eighth inning where he's supposed to pitch? Like the lefty-lefty matchup. Like, I mean, I yeah, thought the mistake was not hitting Hader. For- Like, why didn't you put Hader in the seventh then? Yeah, I, I thought the mistake was not hitting for Grisham. As soon as Darvish is done, just put in Hater. I thought the mistake was not hitting for Grisham. I'm we talk you. about feel. You should be able to feel how lost your guy is at the plate. Horrible. They still have Alfaro, uh, you know, on the bench who has been clutch for them all yeah. year. If he's been one thing for them, it's been clutch. And like that's what I would have probably preferred. I mean, Grisham was so lost. It's amazing how baseball can change so quickly. Yeah, if your guy is willing to drag bunt with men on first and second and one out in the ninth when you're trailing by one 
mean, it's just an example of how of how off this guy feels at the plate. You got to be able to sense that a little bit. And they had Alfaro on the bench who has led their team in walk-offs. I think he has four walk-offs this year. I think it's lucky to a certain point. You literally is at everyone. Yeah, legitimately, <laughs> yeah. like he is the clutch man for them. I, I, I just wouldn't have wanted to see Grisham up in that spot. I know he came up big in the early parts of the postseason. I can promise you that was a distant memory for Grisham uh, by the time he got up there. And that was my only thing. But again, we can micromanage, you know, in, in hindsight, it's 2020. It's easier when you're not making the decision in the spot. Melvin led this team further than they, anyone expected them to go. Melvin did a good job. This team will be back. Is Josh Hader closer to Craig Kimbrell and Kennelly Jansen, or is he closer to Liam Hendricks? I'm not talking production. I'm talking in terms of mental, what he has been, what he thinks of himself as. Hendricks. Because you think Hendricks? I, I think he he really, I think he right, like righted the ship with what we saw. This I postseason. agree. And at the, it wasn't just the postseason. It was the end of the season into the postseason. I, so, I think I think he figured it out again. He, he was lights out, Hader, man. Yeah. So my thing on Hater is he is a ninth inning guy. He is a traditional closer, right? Craig Kimbrell cannot pitch uh, before the ninth inning. Kenley Jansen cannot. Oh, you're pitch saying from that lens. Inning. From that lens, I'm not saying that Hater can't pitch before the ninth inning. Okay. But I'm saying if Hater comes on, gets those two outs of the eighth, and then he pitches in the ninth and he allows runs. This guy is a three out nine ninth inning guy. Like he is the best ninth inning guy in baseball when he's right. Obviously he, he was on the hall of fame trajectory as a ninth inning guy. That's how relievers get to the hall of fame by being a ninth inning guy. But I don't really view hater at this point in his career as a go and get me five outs guy. That's fair. I thought you meant from just a pure ability standpoint, from a pure ability guys that are diminished better than all those guys. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I'll kick it to Peter too. I, I think he threw five and a third innings this postseason, right? I think that's kind of indicative of of what he is, right? We talk about the rest. We talk about all those things. He's figured out how to dominate in that one inning again. But yeah, I don't think you have the confidence in stretching him in for six outs. Or maybe five, maybe four, not even maybe five, maybe four. We saw that, right? But yeah. six is a lot. And I think like, yeah, I, I was thinking about that too, Jack. And I, I, I'm glad you made that point too, because what do you guys think is more likely? Do you think it's more likely that he shoves for five outs? No. Or that he looks human after maybe he would get Harper, which is a lot to ask. I don't care if you're a lefty. Yeah. I don't care who it's you not are. not like Harper can't hit lefties, it man. Been, it could have been Nolan Ryan in his prime on steroids. Like, are we sure he's getting out Harper? No. Like, are we sure? No. no. So then let's say, let's say he gives up a hit to Harper because, I mean, everyone was giving up hits to Harper because he's on crack right now. Then... Like, then you push him into the ninth inning. Like, what's to say that he wouldn't allow a run or two in order to lose the game? So, I agree. It's it's hindsight, and I think it's more likely of a scenario that Josh Hader would have blown it if you elongated him rather than him giving you five perfect outs. Yeah. I think, yeah, if you give Josh Hader three outs, he's in the Emmanuel Class A, Edwin Diaz conversation if you put him in five outs, he looks a lot like Craig Kimbrell. The, the only argument I think would be he just goes the eighth. Suarez goes the ninth, and the save comes in the eighth against Bryce Harper. Like that, good point. And that's 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 an approach that some guys have. I, I get it with some, but a hater so traditional that you probably have to keep him in the ninth. That's the only. I, I would I would hear that argument though, right? Like your save came in the eighth in that game for sure, and it was blown by Suarez. 
Hater is a pretty traditional thinker. Oh, yeah, traditional yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's huh. it. I, I needed to make the joke. Um, <laughs> I, I knew I saw your face the second I said it, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish my, saw, I'm gonna finish my face. fucking point. I saw Jack's face and I started laughing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I, I, I already knew why. I'm, I'm finishing my fucking point. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what else we got to hit? The World Series is set. Obviously, we're going to preview the World Series. We got the whole week, bro. We, we got, got the whole week, week to preview this bad what are boy. We Are we going to take the next four days off? Or are we going to talk about other baseball things? Gold gloves. We got a lot to do. I want to do like oh. a first team thing. You know, people have been clamoring. There's a lot of other teams that we haven't no, really been talking gotta, about we... because they're all going home. Like they're golfing with me now. I'm one of the golfers. White Sox, RM, when's our tea time? Because we're going oh, home. I have I have a scheduled tea time yeah. annually, bro. <laughs> the second the regular season's October over, three yeah. schedule. One more thing, I want to wrap up the manager conversation. I always ask this, and you know, I was talking to Dustin, who was like, "Dave Roberts has got to go." You see, Padres fans, Bob Melvin has got to go. False. Yankee fans, Aaron Boone has got to go. Yes, fire them and hire who? Fire them and hire who? Yankee uh, fans were saying to yourself, an arm, I want to ask you, do you think Don Mattingly is a great option? Fuck no. He'd be worse. That's what I'm saying here. It's like, is Joe Espada, could he be the guy? Yeah, Wasn't yes. Joe Espada would be great. Joe Espada would guy. be great, but, but we're assuming. Only one team's getting Joe Espada. One team's getting Joe Espada. Like, maybe he could be the guy, but he has no managerial experience. Like, I feel like in a year from now, two years from now, if he went to a team in the playoffs, they're going to be like, Joe Espada is like, you know, yeah. rookie manager. Like They're scapegoated. They get too much credit and too much blame. It's a continuation thing. It's it's if if Yankee fans, if Padre fans, if Dodger fans, if they come to me and they say we want to hire this guy because this, this, and this, and we think he's better than him. Okay, we'll have that conversation. But if you just say send Aaron Boone to the moon, send Bob Melvin to the moon, send Dave Roberts to the moon, hire who? I just mean, the White Sox just interviewed Ozzy Guillen. Yeah, the White Sox just interviewed Ozzy Guillen. That's all you got to know. I was going to say, the Sox interviewed Ozzy Guillen, and Jim Tomei was a name that was floated for the White Sox manager. Yeah, like, like right. kill me. Um, Yankee yeah. fans are trying to hire Rizzo. It's like he's, he's so, the best hitter. I was going <laughs> to pitch. I was going to pitch. Why don't you defer Donaldson's payment to a managerial contract? Oh, yeah. 20 and have Donaldson be the manager. It was so bad at one point. I wanted Aaron Boone to not be the manager and for him to play third. I don't mind that. <laughs> he had some good years. Yeah, he had some great years. Carlos um, Beltran is the new manager of the Yankees. Who says no? Ooh. Do we think he'd be good because he was yeah. a good hitter? We yes, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I think it's that's gonna a, that's the way it's going to be the same yeah. thing. I, I well, think it's 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 cool to like think that he could be, but what's the what's the reasoning? I think the Yankees should hire Bob Costas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can just remind them of their rich history. Yeah. All right, so we got a full week of of friend of the program, Bob Costas. Yeah, friend of the program, Bob Costas. Uh, yeah, we got a full week at Gold Gloves and all MLB teams, and stay tuned for some bangers of episodes. Can we just do our own Gold Gloves? Like, fuck that the the regular Gold Gloves. I agree. No, I, can we? Like, we can Juan go Soto. through the finalists and then just give our Gold Gloves. No, you give it to Juan Soto. Gloves. Juan Soto gets the platinum glove because I was of thinking his like offense. the aluminum glove, like something yeah. the tin foil glove. Juan Soto. The tin was it, it Cespedes barbecue or foolish baseball? Um, or maybe even baseball doesn't exist. It was some like big baseball person on Twitter. They made a joke about like Gold Gloves, like. It's just been weighing you down. Like it's a bad name for the award because like, and they were talking about once. So I just thought it was hilarious. It's I the worst award, I think, but yeah, we're going to talk hilarious. about it. Yeah. 
I'm we excited. Got tinfoil gloves. Gold gloves and tinfoil gloves. Worst defender and best defender. I'm in. Let's do it. 15% off. What 15% else? off. I'm wearing arms wearing shirts. We got hats on, just baseball hats. Um, yeah, use October 15. It's still going through the uh World Series. If you haven't gotten yourself some merch yet, it's the best way to support this podcast if you did enjoy. Yeah, give us a five-star review. Again, um, maybe you didn't like this episode. Maybe there was something that you hated. Leave it in the comments on YouTube because um, we're not always right. Maybe we're wrong on some things. You know, Don't we were wrong right. on the Phillies. Happens. Yeah. We're not always going to be right. We're not Jeremy Pena. Some things we're right on. Some things we're not. Um, How about, you know, I picked the Yankees in six. Like, what a fucking disaster. So maybe I should expel myself. But by the way, use October 15th. (laughs) And uh, with that, thank you, everybody.